keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic drive time. And welcome to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you today. Today is August 2nd, 2023. The Feast of Our Lady, Queen of the Angels. There is a beautiful, beautiful story to be told about devotion to Our Lady, Queen of the Angels, and some things to think about as well. In 1863, a Bernadine sister was shown the desolation caused by the devil throughout the world. And she heard the Blessed Virgin Mary speak to her and tell her it was necessary, not that it was good, but it was necessary to pray to her as Queen of the Angels for assistance against these evil forces. Now, the sister inquired why the angels couldn't just do the stuff without asking. They're like, why Why do I have to ask? Can't the angels just go and do the good things without me wanting to needing to ask them? Well, Our Lady told her that it was a condition required by Almighty God himself to obtain favors. You think, our Lord says, knock and the door shall be opened unto you. Ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find. Our Lord desires as part of his divine plan that he wants you to go out and ask. So Our Lady communicated a prayer to the sister and urged her to have it printed and distributed everywhere. The prayer invokes the holy angels under the command and power of our Blessed Lady. And the church at the time, I don't know if this is still uh, working today, but at the time, the church gave a 300 days indulgence to all those who said it. And I'm thinking, should I say the prayer uh, with you right now? Uh, maybe I'll say it during the after show. I'll, I'll say that prayer with you. The, the other thing to meditate upon is to recognize the evil throughout the world. St. Augustine talked about the city of God. Well, now we are living in the city of the devil. The revolution and being this evil force has spread throughout the world and it's been influenced by the devil. And this can most clearly be seen by things that go beyond natural evil. Natural evil has a man cheat, lie, steal and murder. But the supernatural evil or rather preternatural evil goes so, so far beyond where we see things like in the French Revolution, the cracking open of tabernacles and the taking of ciboriums and scattering the host across the streets where it was said that the streets were riddled with hosts, that anywhere you walked in the streets of France at the time, it was almost impossible to not trample our Lord in the streets. This kind of evil goes beyond what humans can do and is clearly demonically influenced. Now, the good news is that our Lord has given us the great tool of his mother, that our lady is there as queen of the angels asking us, to use her as an intercessor to fight the demons of the world and that those angels that are under her charge will protect us, will guide us, and lead us to everlasting life. So on this feast of the Queen of the Angels, let's pray to Our Lady that the reign of Mary be established in the world and that the angels come and they defend us and protect us. Queen of Angels, pray, pray for, for us. us. So happy Wednesday to you. You made it to halfway through the weekend. Can you believe it? It's almost to the weekend. I'm I'm surprised, to be honest. I didn't think I was going to make it. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a pretty quick week. You think so? I think so. Not for me, man. No? Not for me. Uh, it's been the longest week Adrian. ever. <laughs> I'm still dealing with some uh, pain in my mouth. Significantly better, 
I woke up. I was like, mm, the pain's more like at a four, mm. where the last couple of days it's been at like a six. And then like Saturday and Sunday, it was at like a seven and a half, eight. And so it's been, um, it woke up. It's so it's better. It's obviously I'm healing because pain is less. So all around, mm, it's okay. It's okay. Well, maybe you can uh, use that uh, holy intention of praying to Our Lady Queen of Angels to help you uh, recover from your, your toothache. You know, that's a great point. That's a great point. You know, it's always, it's so much easier to say offer it up than it is to actually do it. Like, <laughs> that's whatever so you're true. When you're in the moment, it's almost impossible to remember. I think of how often, um, you know, the failures that I experience or, or the, the misery that I experience, the goose chases that I constantly go on, how, how much of an impact they could make. If only I could remember to offer them up in that moment. Yeah, instead Maybe of... we could uh, do that today. Yeah, instead of complaining or just groaning in pain, just say, you know, I'm going to offer this up. Mm. That is the more virtuous thing to do. Is it the thing I always do? Not necessarily, <laughs> uh, but it's definitely a thing I should be doing. So prayers um, for everybody that we have the virtues enough to offer up our pain and sufferings every single day. Now, at 15 past the hour, there are some companies that are trying to control your mind. We're going to discuss what who those companies are coming up at 15 past the hour. At 30 past the hour, Rome's exorcist. This is a very interesting story. Father Gabriel Amorth, I don't know if you've heard of him. We're going to be talking about who this man is. A the Some say that he will be canonized a saint one day. Mm -hmm. And also, I found out he was personal friends with Padre Pio. I did oh, not wow. know that. So very, there you go, folks. Uh, and then the next hour, well, did you hear that World Youth Day is going on? Mm, we're going to talk about that in the next hour. Is World Youth Day all it's cracked up to be? Is it just like, oh, this particular World Youth Day is bad? Or, or is World Youth Day just not ideal? We're going to talk about that in the next hour, plus our fear and trembling game show, as is our custom. But let's begin with prayer. We're going to be praying for your intentions, whatever you have going on in your life. We pray for your friends, your family, your benefactors, all those we promise to pray for. We're praying for that intention. We're also praying for Emily Esserman and the entire Esserman family. There seems to be some uh, upturn for Sienna, their daughter. So that's very positive. So prayers and thanksgiving for that and prayers for continued recovery. So thank you to everyone who's been praying for Sienna and the Esserman family. And, of course, we're praying for the um, all those who are most in need of our prayers, the holy souls in purgatory. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. O Immaculata, Queen of heaven and earth, refuge of sinners and our most loving mother, God has willed to entrust the entire order of mercy to you. I, a repentant sinner, cast myself at your feet, humbly imploring you to take me with all that I am and have, holy to yourself as your possession and property. Please make of me of all my powers of soul and body, of all my life, death, eternity, whatever most pleases you. If it pleases you, use all that I am and have without reserve wholly to accomplish what's said of you. She will crush your head and you alone have destroyed all heresies in the world. Let me be a fit instrument in your immaculate and merciful hands for introducing and increasing your glory to the maximum and all the many strayed and indifferent souls. And thus help extend as far as possible the blessed kingdom of the most sacred heart of Jesus. For wherever you enter, you obtain the grace of conversion and growth in holiness. Since it is through your hands that all graces come to us from the most sacred heart of Jesus. 
Allow me to praise you, O sacred virgin. Give me strength against your enemies. O Mary, conceived without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee and all those who do not have recourse to thee, especially the Freemasons. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. And now, your headline news with Rudy Carlos. Good morning. You're listening to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. Here are your Wednesday headlines. Justin News reports Trump is indicted on federal election probe on four counts. Former President Donald Trump was indicted yesterday as part of a federal grand jury probe into his efforts to, quote, challenge the 2020 election results and the former president's role in the subsequent January 6, 2021 Capitol riot, unquote. While it acknowledges that Trump had a right to speak publicly about the election and even to claim that there had been fraud during the election and that he had won, it alleges a conspiracy and a multitude of unlawful efforts of discounting legitimate votes and subverting the election results. Catholic News Agency reports St. Louis parishes dodge closure by appealing to the Vatican. Vatican, uh, rather, Missouri's largest and oldest seven parishes plan to send appeals to the Vatican, putting the mergers planned on the parishes on hold until the dicastery for the clergy issues a ruling. Of those seven parishes, five of them were said to be subsumed into another parish and closed. Numerous factors, including increasing suburbanization and rising crime, have led in recent years to an exodus of people from St. Louis's historic inner core, where the greatest number of large historic parishes were clustered. Catholics have been moving gradually west for several decades away from the city center along the Missouri River and toward the suburbs, leaving parishes in more urban areas with smaller Catholic populations with uh, smaller Catholic populations to draw from. Overall, in 2021, the number of Catholics in the Archdiocese of St. Louis dropped below 500,000 for the first time since the 1960s. And the Washington Times reports, Indiana abortion clinics stopped providing abortions ahead of a near-total abortion ban taking effect. Planned Parenthood's four Indiana abortion clinics have stopped performing abortions in accordance with state guidance that states abortion would become illegal in Indiana in clinic settings with very limited exceptions. The ban will end most abortions in the state, even in the earliest stages of pregnancy, thanks be to God. Indiana became the first state to enact tighter abortion restrictions after the U.S. Supreme Court ended nearly a half a century of federal abortion protections by overturning Roe v. Wade in 2022. Those were your breaking news and stories. For now, keep it dialed on Catholic Drive Time for more. The Gospel of the Day comes from Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. Now, here is the story of the parable, rather, of the pearl of great price. Now, before we jump into it, Cornelius Lapide makes the point that this precedes, or proceeds, rather, from the other parables that we've been reading the last week uh, from, I think, last Thursday. And the reason why that's important to keep in mind is Cornelius Lapide points out the previous stories... The previous parables set up for us what the treasure is. Like, what is the nature, power, and efficacy of the gospel? Now, this parable shows us how precious, how precious those things are and how, how much we should value it. And so those things have to be kept in mind whenever we think about those things. Now, verse 44 says, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hidden in a field. When a man, having found, hid it, and for joy thereof, goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Now, this is important to keep in mind, because what is the treasure? The treasure is not just the kingdom of heaven, 
which that is the treasure, but it's also the gospel. It's the true faith. It's everything that goes along with the faith. It's the entire economia or the economy or the treasure of grace. So that's Our Lady, the saints, the sacraments, the sacramentals, the church, all these things is the treasure hidden in the field. So when we find it, what are we to do? Do we say, oh, well, the, the land is too expensive. Oh, well, no. You sell all you have and you buy the field in order to receive the treasure. Why? Because the treasure is worth more than all you have. If you gave away all you have and you receive only that treasure, you have gained more. You have received more. And all it cost you was everything. It's very interesting. So let's make an analogy. If you saw a piece of land, we're going to make it very low price to make math easy. If you see a land, piece of land, it's $100. And all you have is $100. Where is it, Adrian? Um, it's in my mind. Oh, and it's damn. $100. And you purchase that land. But you know that there is a box full of gold on that land. Well, giving up the $100, that's every single thing you own. That's the entire value of everything you're worth. You sell it all and you buy that land. You have gained a treasure chest full of gold, a much more worthy trade for everything that you own. And so, too, is the kingdom of heaven. And so, too, is the economia of grace. So, too, is everything we receive from the church. In verse 45, he reiterates, saying, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like to a merchant seeking good pearls, who, when he found one pearl of great price, went his way and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, it's really interesting. I recommend checking out Cornelius Lapide's commentary here because he goes through and he explains the different aspects of a pearl and of gems in general and how they relate to our Lord. It's really interesting because um, you never would have thought that Cornelius Lapide would have been an expert on gems, but he's he goes through and is like, our Lord is, is, uh, is, a, is a carbuncle which because he is the light of the world. He's an emerald because he delights the angels by the vendor of his grace. He is strong and invincible as a diamond. And he goes through and he lists like 12 different stones and talks about the beauties of those stones and how they reflect the beauty of Christ. And I think that's super interesting. It's something that we should think about when we see nature, the beauties of nature, the beauty of the things around us. How do those things reflect the glory of God? And is our Lord worth it? Well, if we like nice shiny things and we should definitely love our lord we'll be right back hey donnie what are the four gospels in the new testament matthew mark luke and john and who baptized jesus saint john the baptist as parents we're the primary educators of our catholic faith to our children and if you don't know your catholic faith as well as you should that's okay just tune in daily to the guadalupe radio network by logging online to grnonline.com the guadalupe radio network listen learn love and pass it on this is dale alquist with a chesterton minute what is a fanatic well, have you ever heard someone defending animal rights as if they have completely forgotten about human rights? G.K. Chesterton says that is a perfect example of a fanatic. 
someone with a sense of a particular truth that is too strong for his sense of the universal truth. He will invoke even cruelty to prevent cruelty to animals. Later, he may even invoke cruelty to animals to prevent cruelty to pit ponies. It is not merely that he has kept one thing and lost a thousand things. He has lost the basis even of the one thing. For a man cannot long remain right without a reason. We must accept all the universal truths so that we don't go off balance with one particular truth. And where do we find the perfect balance of all universal truths? In the Catholic Church. Want more than a minute? Chesterton.org. And welcome back to the Catholic Drive Time Show. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. So good to be on with you today. Now, it's really interesting. The Daily Wire has this article out published by, um, well, published by the Daily Wire. It's written by Ben Shapiro. And the article discusses a, a group of global elites who control the narratives and information that people are allowed to see and read. I think it's interesting because this would be considered a conspiracy theory five years ago. And anyone who listens to Ben Shapiro would know that he's very anti-conspiracy theory. Anytime there's a conspiracy theory, he's like, oh, those people are crazy. He's very much middle of the road, slightly right of center, leans more libertarian, even though he probably would deny that. He's, he would say he's a conservative. And I lean completely the opposite direction. <laughs> Give me all your conspiracy theories. I'd love to hear them. <laughs> They're great. The, um, so the groups that he recognizes, though, it's, it's gotten to the point. So here, here's the thing about secret societies that mm -hmm. people try to like, oh, these secret societies are not real. It's a conspiracy theory, yada, yada, yada. The thing about secret societies is that they were secret because we lived in a well-ordered society in the past. When you lived in Christendom, if you came out as a heretic and you lived in, um, in a nation that was Catholic and you came out as a heretic, well, your life was in danger. Because you, heresy was punishable by death for a number of reasons. I'll give you just two. One is because, one, you can murder the souls of people by your heresy, and therefore the, it's, you're a grave danger to society. And two, because the nation had a national religion. And so your pushing for an alternative religion is a revolt against the government itself and not just against the religion. There is no a concept of this freedom of religion we have today. Ultimately, it was an offense against God. And ultimately, it's an offense against God. Yeah. But these two reasons are more why understand against of why most people would understand. Now, the reason why I bring that up is because so they, these people who are heretics this time had to meet in secret. Because if they were caught, there is grave punishment to have. There is a conspiracy. So just like a bank robber doesn't talk about robbing a bank in public, they meet in secret and discuss their plans. It's not a conspiracy theory to say that, oh, yeah, there are probably people getting together secretly meeting to plan crimes. That's what we're talking about here. The same thing is true for the other secret societies that came up of other philosophical ideas, not just heresies, but philosophical ideas of revolution. These people met in private and secret. We know this from American history because, you know, America basically allowed you to believe almost whatever you wanted. Communism was not allowed in America. 
And so those communists oftentimes had to meet in secret societies. They had to meet in private. We saw a very similar thing in England with the anarchists who would meet in private and secret in England during the time of, um, I want to say it was the 19th century. A very interesting situation. The difference about today is that there's no need to meet in secret anymore. Everything is out in the open. People literally, like Peter Sanger, will literally come out in public and endorse infanticide. There is no need for secrecy anymore. These people come out into the public and say it. So now we know, and with infallible knowledge, because they tell us, they have exposed themselves and told us, and we just have to believe them of what they believe. And so Ben Shapiro includes the groups like the World Economic Forum, the World Federation of Advertiseries, people who do ad adverts, I can't even say that word, and the Global Alliance for Responsible Media. These organizations have created frameworks and guidelines to enforce approved narratives and punish disapproved ones, which can lead to censorship, blacklisting of content creators, and they determine what is considered brand safety, leading to potential censorship and demonetization of content that violate their guidelines. This is important to keep in mind because these groups tell us that that's what they're doing. They tell them that this is our goal. And people are like, oh, no, that's crazy. They're not doing that. Nobody's trying to do that. Oh, the new world order. That's crazy. They literally call themselves the World Economic Forum. They include the word world in their name. They tell you exactly what they're trying to do. The World Federation. The Global Alliance for Responsible Media. It sounds very much like, what is it, 1917? The um, Ministry of Truth. Very interesting. And key players go to these meetings. You know, it's it's all the the elected officials, supposedly elected officials, that go there and and they meet and they talk about all kinds of different things of different ways that they can improve, in quote, air quotes, the society. And uh, they tell you, for example, that uh, you're stressing out the environment. And uh, all at the same time, they jump into their, their private jets and fly into these World Economic Forum meetings. Well, it's, it's, it's more than most people would think. Yeah. Most people would think, oh, well, yeah, there's people like Bill Gates and things like that. But people don't realize you don't know the vast majority of billionaires. Mm -hmm. The vast majority of billionaires are basically hidden. They're basically hidden. Nobody knows who they are. I mean, you could look them up, but nobody cares enough. 90% of global advertising dollars are represented by the World Federation of Advertis Advertiseries. Advertis I can't say that. I'm just going to call it WFA and be done with it. 90% of the global advertising dollars. 90%. That's insanity. The WFA includes companies like Abinbev, which is Anheuser-Busch. It is Hershey's. Procter & Gamble, Lego, Disney, all of these fall under there. Amongst the Fortune 500 CEOs, there is almost not a single one that is not associated with either the WEF, the World Economic Forum, or the WFA. That is a very concerning situation. And so whenever we say, like, oh, yeah, the billionaires, it's not just a couple billionaires that are bad. 
And even if these people are good, they have this financial incentive to go along to get along. Because the bottom line, the money, is being threatened. So even if you don't believe that these people are all bad and have this kind of nefarious idea, all you have to understand is they have policies. And the people who are members or attendees of these groups have to follow their policies or it could hurt their bottom line. And so these things are not conspiracy theories. They are actually trying to control the narrative, control the world. It's a very important thing to keep in mind, especially when we see other groups who claim to be like news guard. These people try to say, oh, yeah, well, we are fact checking. Well, most of these fact checking groups, you have to see who owns them. Who are they run by? Because many times those fact checking groups are owned by the same people that you want to be fact checked. (laughs) Which I think is very funny, which is why, actually, even though Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter, changing it to X, is um, kind of concerning, actually, to be honest. And But the good news is he has put community notes, where it's the community kind of cultivates their own fact-checking, which has been very positive. But the concerning thing about X with Elon Musk is that Elon Musk is almost, and I, and I, I hesitate to say this because people are going to be like, oh, Adrian's a conspiracy theorist. Adrian is uh, saying that Elon Musk is the Antichrist. I'm not saying Elon Musk is the Antichrist. I'm very explicitly not saying that. But you're saying that he is from Mars. I am saying, though, he is the Antichrist. <laughs> <laughs> not actually, but it's funny because he's creating almost this parallel situation with the World Economic Forum being on this side and Elon Musk seemingly setting himself in opposition to the other billionaires in the world. And you're thinking that people root for Elon Musk. And I root for Elon Musk in a lot of particular cases. I always point out that he's definitely not a total ally. I like the things he does that are good. I don't like the things that he does that are bad. But then with the change of X and his talk about creating a one digital platform that can do everything... Obviously, there are financial incentives there, but it's very interesting to see Elon taking over every single avenue, every sphere of influence, space, technology, driving, energy, batteries, homes, because they're creating the the Tesla uh, roofs now. For the and they're not just solar panels; they're actual roofs that he they're building. The production of X. I mean, he's the one who created PayPal, and with X, he wants to create a new kind of payment platform there. Very interesting. I don't know what his long game is. The um, what was the Neuralink putting chips in people's brains? He said that he's going to be able to give sight to the blind. He's going to be able to make the the uh, the lame walk. Mm. Isn't that weird? Mm. Isn't, isn't that weird? It makes me uncomfortable. Right, right, and 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 so there's a con- there's kind of a conflict with him when I'm thinking about it because I'm like, well, obviously, if we can create technology that can restore people's health, that's a good thing. Where does it end? What is the final end there? Utopia, was, Adrian. Well, it seems where like land it. is a hundred dollars. Where land is a hundred dollars in my head. 
Um, <laughs> it's very interesting to see where this is going. And Elon Musk, there's a lot of good that he does. But I think we definitely need to be wary of where he is going. What is the final end to what we're seeing? Whenever he first announced X, I was like, oh, that's hilarious. He's changing the name of Twitter. And I didn't think much of it. And then he kind of rolled out more and more his goals with X to be the everything platform, to be your social media platform, to be your news platform, be your uh, financial platform, be your uh, YouTube, be everything. He wants it to be your everything platform. You go here and you stay on X. Very interesting. So I just think we should keep in mind Elon Musk is not a counter-revolutionary. He is setting up, it's interesting because he sets up almost a parallel revolution, a what Professor Plinio calls a false right, where people would run to this guy thinking he's the hero, but really he's a false right. He's leading you astray just in a different way. And I think the final thing is, like again, I'm not calling him the Antichrist. I'm very, very much not saying that because I don't think he's, I don't think we're in the end times. He may be an Antichrist, though. Maybe. Maybe. We'll see. We'll see how it works out in the long run. But it is interesting how he much he parallels the things that you would expect for the Antichrist. Very charismatic, very well-liked, uh, rallying people from the left over to the right, people of all different shapes, sizes, beliefs, Republican, Democrat, left, right. Everyone kind of likes Elon Musk. All the right people hate him. The people who are the enemies of God all hate Elon Musk. He's doing things that seem to be helping society, seemingly helping people be able to see, to walk, to do all these things through technology. Very interesting. Putting satellites in the sky, giving people internet in the middle of nowhere with, with SpaceX. All sorts of really strange things. It's very interesting. Again, I'm not saying he is the Antichrist. I'm just saying it's interesting. That's all I'm saying. All right. When we come back, speaking of Antichrist, we're going to talk about Father Gabriel Amorth and his battle with the devil. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Do you really believe in a secret catching away of the church called the rapture? The pages of your Bible are empty of that type of talk. So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, solid biblical doctrine is time-tested. This rapture idea got its wheels rolling by John Darby in about 1830. I mean, have you heard of a third coming? You know you haven't. Secondly, God's nature. There's no reasonable premise in Scripture, let alone in moral reasoning, for the results of a rapture scenario such as this. A Christian pilot is yanked, raptured, out of his jet, while scores of the remaining passengers who are not Christians violently crash to their death. Meanwhile, said pilot is basking in the presence of God. This is absurd, and believe me, this is preached day in and day out. Thirdly, bad fruit. The preacher at your church says, Tonight, don't you be left in that pew alone, while that person next to you gets raptured straight up into heaven. That, my friend, is folly with no foundation. I don't know why I turned on my radio because I've kept my radio off for years. And once I turned it on, I was absolutely hooked. I love the shows with a Catholic apologist. I love the shows with the sort of day-to-day psychologist, Greg and Lisa Popchek. I love hearing not just of other people's problems who call in, but I love getting the Catholic take on how to deal with day-to-day reality. The Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm Rudy Carlos, and here are more breaking news and headlines for you. 
Speaking of land, this article is from the Daily Wire, and the headline goes, Company suspected of China ties sues farmers over land sale around Air Force Base. Flannery Associates has spent roughly $800 million on land around Travis Air Force Base, northeast of San Francisco. The company is suing farmers in the area for $510 million, accusing them of forming a secret conspiracy to drive up prices to super competitive levels by eliminating free market competition and violating federal and state laws by conspiring to inflate the land's purchase price. Pretty concerning that China is buying uh, land out there. The Epic Times reports Biden administration outlaws incandescent light bulbs accelerating transition to LEDs. The Biden administration's new light bulb rule has come into full effect, marking another step toward eliminating American households' illuminating options, among other things. Most traditional incandescent and halogen bulbs won't make the cut. While it won't be illegal to continue using the bulbs that don't meet the proposed energy threshold requirement, manufacturers and retailers will no longer be allowed to make or sell them. And Ground News reports, Chief Uno player is wanted. A toy company, Mattel, offers five-figure sum for one month's work. Mattel is searching for its first ever Chief Uno player to lead the introduction of its new game, Uno Quattro. The job requires playing and teaching Uno Quattro, producing content and having a positive and competitive personality. The Chief Uno player will work four hours a day, four days a week, for four weeks, earning a total of $17,776. They must create a TikTok video answering four questions and be available to work in New York starting from September 13th. Sorry, Adrian, doesn't look like you qualify for that one. But uh, those were all of your headlines this morning. May God bless all of your holy efforts today. It's over, Rudy. It is over. How am I going to ever recover? (laughs) You can make six figures in, wow, uh, just a really short amount of time playing this game. All you have to do is join TikTok and lose your soul. Well, is my soul worth six figures? I'm trying to think. Um... (sighs) Okay. Don't okay. you dare presume in God's mercy and All say, right. well, I guess I'll just go to confession after <laughs> No. All right. Yes. Uh, what is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul? Okay. Amen, yes. Brother. So true. So true. <laughs> so pearl, true king. Pearl of great price. Uh, sell all you have. Buy up the land. Get the treasure. Not sell all you have. Sell your soul. Get the TikTok. All right. <laughs> fine. Fine. All right. Anyway, speaking of selling your soul... Um, let's not sell our soul. Uh, Dr. Dan Snyder is joining us again. Last time we had him on talking about the Liber Cristo method, a field manual for spiritual combat. Um, today we're going to be discussing Father Gabriel Amorth, who is a one of the uh, the Rome's exorcist, is what people call him. In fact, they made a movie about him recently, and I want to start off the conversation kind of talking about that for a second because I've heard a lot of interesting discussions about that movie. Um, but good morning to you, Dr. Snyder. Morning, Adrian. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Hey, praise be to God. You know, before we jump into our conversation, I was looking at your bio, and I thought it was really cool. You were a former amateur boxer and a U.S. Army helicopter pilot and a Gulf War veteran. That's amazing. Thank you for your service. Thank you. Yeah, no, I, I lived a full life. Praise be to God. Yeah, that's awesome. I I, I love yeah. boxing, and I think it's an amazing sport, so I think that's pretty cool. But anyway. Did you watch the Spence fight? They, I guess it was a pretty good fight Saturday. I didn't see it. It was. I was a welterweight, so I like the smaller guys better. <laughs> you know, so I, I hear did. it was a good fight. I didn't, I didn't 
I didn't want to fork out the money, but I hear it was a pretty good fight. If you can uh, uh, catch the highlights, I highly recommend. It was a yeah. world-class, um, it was very interesting to see Spence look like an amateur. It was uh, very yeah. strange, yeah. very impressive. But anyway, to, to the point of the conversation, I could we'll easily... We'll boxing next time. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's do that, actually. That would be a fun conversation. Um, but the the topic of Father Gabriel Morith, speaking of uh, fighters, right? Speaking uh, of boxing the devil. Right. There you go. Uh, what is it? Uh, a Hail Mary full of grace, punch the devil in the face. There you go. There you go. Uh, but the but Father Gabriel Morith, a very interesting character. They So interesting, in fact, that Hollywood thought it would be a good idea to make a movie about him. So people may have seen the movie. So let's start there. Um, was the movie accurate portrayal? What is it? Does it get anything right? Does it get things wrong? I don't know if you've seen it, um, but what have you heard? Yeah. I, I knew that since I did I did the developmental edits for this book, it was translated um, from Italian to, to English. And then I, I spent several weeks to combing over it to just get it ready for publication for an American audience. And um, so I knew I had to watch the movie. I normally don't try. I try to avoid watching things about the devil and these sorts of things just because it gets boring and old over time. And I don't want to think about it too much. But I was flying back from Germany doing some training over there, uh, teams and priests over there. So I thought, well, I better watch it because I'm, I'm going to probably be talking about it. So I put it on and I lasted about 10 minutes and I finally turned it off. Wow. Um, it was so ridiculous in my observation and so inconsistent with my own experience and, and training and background. Um, not only I don't think that they didn't consult an, um, an exorcist, I don't think they even consulted a Roman Catholic. I mean, it was that bad. <laughs> so, it was ridiculous. Wow. so I put on and there was an army movie. So I thought, well, I'll watch an army movie. I'm just trying to flush. You know, I, I got to kill 10 hours. So I'll watch an army movie. I put this movie on. Not only did I think they not didn't they consult anyone ever in the military, I don't think they consulted anyone for this movie. It was just it was just an absurd. So I turned it off and just went to sleep, you know. So yeah, Hollywood has no clue. They have no idea the reality. It is far more mundane, and also far more terror, uh, uh, um, terrible, uh, uh, and incredible to watch and be a participant in this. Um, so it's Hollywood doesn't get it. They're not even close mm -hmm. at, at all. Uh, in their portrayal. So I wouldn't recommend the movie, to be honest with you. Yeah, I thought about going to see it just, just to give a kind of my thoughts on it. But at the end of the day, I was like, I really honestly don't care enough to see it. So I didn't watch it. I, I'm not yeah, a fan of those movies anyway. Yeah, they have a secret. They have this. Uh, uh, so, of course, there's always the secret Vatican secret that they have to uncover that the Vatican is hiding something for centuries, you know, which is ridiculous and absurd. Um, uh, the only secret that the Vatican holds is the Holy Eucharist, which the whole world seems to be blind to, you know, mm -hmm. uh, the presence of Christ in the Eucharist is the greatest secret the church holds. But uh, so so the, the, the movie is completely inconsistent. The first scene, there was supposedly a possessed farmer and it was a, uh, the, for his first case was a possessed young man, a farmer uh, in his mid 20s. But they go into the his bedroom and they bring a pig and then they, the, he commands the demons to go into the pig. Because they've heard that might be in the Bible, and uh, then everybody stands around with shotguns and they shoot it crossfire over each other into the to kill the pig. I mean, it was absurd, but I still got I stuck it in stuck in there for another ten minutes, and finally it was just ridiculous. So, well, that's so, good to yeah, know. That's yeah, good to yeah, know. So let's talk about who the real Father Gabriel Morth is. Then uh, let's start going through his early life because many people may say okay well let's get into the sensational things but every people of course like to hear the sensational things but the, the a man is built by his family by his culture by what he was up brought uh, brought up in uh, so who was father gabriel morith yeah i think that, that that this is what really the book goes into which was kind of interesting for me 
the Americans, our audience, the most audience, want they want to go straight into the the fun stuff, you know, the sensationalism, the phenomena of of exorcism. But you do, but this is a story about an exorcist in his previous life. Remember, he wasn't called to this ministry until he was in his sixties. He was sixty years old when when he was asked. He he lived a very he lived in a very Catholic a uh, 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 rural. A uh, Catholic home raised by very holy parents. The very first chapter is saintly parents, two saintly parents. Um, he received in, in in that Catholic environment in the Catholic culture. He he heard his vocation at a very early age. Age I think he was thirteen years old or less when he he knew that God was calling him to be a priest. So he had a very classic childhood uh, in a classic Catholic home, a very holy childhood by holy parents, and he was called to the priesthood at a, at an early age. And then he spent much of his his teen years discerning which direction to go with his with his vocation um which was interrupted by the second world war so he was also a soldier um he, and as most in that generation particularly in europe but our our generation as well went over and fought in that war so he actually was was a soldier that that, that fought um and he also fought against the fascists after the war um, I'm also reading another good book right now. I don't do a lot of reading, but this one my wife gave me said, you're going to like this book. And it was uh, In the Shadow of His Wings about a, a, a Nazi seminarian that, that was forced into the Nazis and became a priest um, uh, after the war, during the war. And it's fascinating to see Catholicism in, 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 in the context of war. And, 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 and Father Morth battled against uh, the fascist. Uh, as a as a fascist tried to take over Italy at the end of the war, and he he was he, he was a guerrilla fighter for 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 several months or maybe even a year or more as well. Had a, a secret name in a guerrilla warfare group, and so this guy he was holy, he was patriotic, uh, and and he was thoroughly Catholic, and he was also a fighter, and he had a sense of humor, which was most people don't understand. You know, people think you're the sour face. The picture on the front of the book is. He's very serious, but he was a bit of a jokester, you know, uh, um, and he and he he liked to use a lot of puns. And so he kept himself. He took what he did very seriously, but not who he was seriously at all. And I think that's the key, a key element of of a good exorcist. Yeah, I think that's a uh, really amazing to think about because we kind of have, like you mentioned, the, the American mindset is uh, we hate nuance. Uh, Americans hate yeah. nuance. We want the black and white. We want to get to the sensational things, the very Hollywood culture. I want to give me the goods, uh, spill the tea, that <laughs> kind of mentality. Uh, we're going to go to a quick yeah. break. And when we come back, I want to discuss a little bit, though, uh, your own experience as a Gulf War veteran uh, compared to with many of the saints being fighters and warriors and how that relates to the spiritual life and Father Amor specifically. When we come back, don't go anywhere more with Dr. Snyder in just a moment. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Haven't you honestly wondered why do all the different denominations break away from each other? Timeline, 1500s, Luther breaks from the Catholic Church. 16th century, John Knox is influenced by Calvin and breaks from Luther, thus the Presbyterians. 17th century, John Smith then breaks away and starts the Baptist. 18th century, Wesley breaks and starts the Methodist. Even crazier are all the scores of non-denominational individuals who break from each other, generally due to cosmic ego and, quote, a new revelation. 
revelation. Well, here's the three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, the Bible. Judges 21 says, quote, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which is right in his own eyes. Secondly, physics. Once the dam breaks, water goes where it will. Luther broke canon law 331, which says about the Pope, By virtue of his office, he possesses supreme, full, immediate, and universal ordinary power in the church. And thirdly, my take. Gifted theologians can be just like my fourth grade friend who said, I'm taking my bat and ball and going home. Hey, Donnie, who was the first pope to whom Jesus said, you are the rock upon which I will build my church? St. Peter. And who is the current pope? Pope Francis. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. Welcome back to the Catholic Drive Time Show. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you today. Praise be to God. We're joined right now with Dr. Snyder. He is uh, he helped with some of the working of the Father Gabriel Morth book, Translation into English, uh, working on the edit there. And we're talking to him about Father Morth. I think it's a very interesting character. And I thought it was so fascinating that he was actually a veteran, that he fought and um, you see this with a, a lot of very, very holy men. And Dr. Snyder happens to also have been a U.S. Army helicopter pilot and a Gulf War veteran. And I'm very curious, Dr. Snyder, what your analysis is of how the understanding of physical combat related to Father Morth and his life as an exorcist in spiritual combat. Yeah, I think I think the the um, there's many parallels, and this is where it became um uh, rather easy for me to transition um, and be able to to work both in academic work, but also in this this field and try to bring some sanity in foundations. If you don't understand combat or even combat sports, um, it's hard to it's hard to understand um, without falling into sensationalism. But the, but this is an ancient battle, as the catechism says that that all of human history has been one of dour combat with the forces of evil from the beginning of time. Um, so. So we were we were born in the combat, and and we and we 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 live in a battle of combat, in time of combat, especially now. You remember in confirmation, the old right, and some some bishops still do this. After they confirm the the confirmandi, they slap them a little slap on the cheek to remind them uh, that this is this 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 you now are a soldier for Christ. And so Father Morth just took this uh, to the next level when he was asked to be to be Rome's exorcist. Uh, he took he, he took his experience as a guerrilla fighter and he applied it uh, in combat myself as well. I, I you know, when my work with Father Ripperger and the local diocese, I'm, I'm I see myself as just a, a repurposed cavalry scout. What I did in combat, um, uh, providing detailed uh, battlefield information for the exorcist. But a, but a soldier also understands there's a hierarchy. We've lost this in the modern church. There's a lot of charismatic modalities that just think. We should just go in there and gunsling and everybody just it just turns into chaos. There's there's this, there's a hierarchy uh, in every and, and there's an office that that dictates who does what, just like in the military, the church in the same way. And so that jurisdictional authority, Father Morris recognized very clearly, comes through the, the 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 bishop to the exorcist. And so as a soldier, it was very clear to him. This is how it works. And for me as well, falling into uh, order uh, within the church and working in the, our model with Father Ripperger and Libra Cristo, it's it's very seamless. If you have experience and and even in boxing and 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 you know 
combat sports, you understand if you know you can't be passive. If you sit back in the ring and try not to get hit, you're going to get hit. If you if you if you sit in combat and you and you wait for someone to come get you, no one's coming. We used to have a phrase in the military: "No one's coming. It's up to us. It's up to us to fight this battle." And so. So that experience in combat helps us understand what the enemy doing. These things don't change. It's the same shoot 'em up, as they say. It's the same battle from the beginning. And so, if you understand combat, if you understand uh, uh, um, physical combat principles, hierarchies, types uh, of legions, etc. This is the you know I'm working on my next book, and it's and it's based on legion, which is a Roman a Roman legion of six thousand. Mm. So if you understand combat, you can understand uh, what's happening in the spiritual realm. Amen. Amen. I think that's a wonderful analysis there. Now, Father Amorth, and what happened uh, after he was ordained and he was living as a priest? Because it seems though there was a huge gap in the time he became a priest to the time he became an exorcist specifically. Now, what was he doing in that time? Yeah, so he so as he discerned his vocation, um, he he ended up being uh, attracted to the the founder of the Paulist order, and so he became a Paulist father. And those are the guys that um, they were the first in, really into multimedia besides Max Maximilian Kolbe. And so they you know when you look at the papal encyclicals and they 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 they're publishers for the church. And so he was uh, he was he was really uh, not only a, a, a grandfather for the modern exorcist and exorcism. He was also the grandfather of use, the use of modern media for evangelization. So he was, you know, writing in newsletters, distributing, uh, distributing uh, on various newsletters, particularly on the Virgin Mary. He was a um, Mariologist, so he wasn't just a grunt soldier. He was a well-educated priest and a Mariologist, and so he was a big advocate for the with the blessed for the Blessed Mother um, and teaching. Uh, uh, um, uh, you know, Marian doctrines and, and Marian devotion throughout throughout Italy and throughout Europe, and so he so he did for many years. He, he just worked in evangelization. He was an evangelist. Uh, he was a priest evangelist, a preacher, uh, and a Mariologist. And he, and he had used at the time multimedia. If he were alive today, he on this show he would be running uh, um, these types of programs. But before he became an exorcist, this is what he did. Yeah, I think that's very interesting. The other thing that I think is interesting about Father Amorth is that he, like you mentioned, he had this sense of humor. He had this sense of of respect for Almighty God as well. He was not just some um, stoic man. He he was real. He was a very real person. He, we kind of have this idea of these exorcists as some kind of person pie in the sky, uh, but this is a very practical real thing. So why was he chosen to become an exorcist? And there's kind of a mythology around Father Amorth. I'm very curious about what is the truth and reality about he, they're like, oh yeah, he did. It sounds like the people are like, there are a billion exorcisms in 10 years. Um, what's the reality here? Yeah, um, he, he was working in Rome um, with the Paulus fathers. He was, he was working at their house he was, you know, had there's a Marian newsletter, Maria, I think it was called, um, and and he worked really diligently with the bishops of uh, of, of Rome, I mean of Italy, to consecrate uh, the Blessed Mother, uh, to to consecrate Italy to the Blessed Mother, and he worked really hard and 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 as his organizing, his grassroots background, uh, uh, political grassroots, all that came to bear to get all the bishops of Italy to 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 consecrate Italy to Rome, I mean, to the Blessed Mother, and he flew around in a helicopter and 
And so um, during this time, he went and saw the, the uh, I think it was the chancellor of the Diocese of Rome, a bishop, and just to visit with him, had an open door policy just to kind of chat. And this is what I'm doing just to keep you aware. And the bishop had asked, asked him, the chancellor asked him, have you heard of Father Candido Amantini? He said, yeah, yeah, I've heard of him. He said, I respect his work. You know, he said, oh, great. And he turned around, got a piece of paper out, official letterhead, and he hand wrote a note. I now appoint you uh, assistant exorcist of the Diocese of Rome to study under Father Candido Amantini. And and he, he handed him a piece of paper. He's, and But he was so formed in obedience to Holy Mother Church, he didn't say, well, let me pray about it. Let me discern. Let me think about it. He said, okay. And he, and he, and he did it. And he went to his, his superior. His superior said, do it. He goes to Father Candido uh, Amantini, who was really the his his his, his spiritual father and trainer in this field. Uh, and he gave him the, the, the ritual of exorcism and said, read this. And that was his training. And he said 30 days he just studied the ritual, uh, including the, in the pre-nantandra. And it gives indicate, you know, a, a indicators of uh, uh, markers of a good exorcist, which is holiness, uh, prudence. Uh, uh, a moderation and all these things. And he, and he just saw what, it, what it meant to be a good soldier. And he applied it to the spiritual life. And after 30 days, father said, okay, there's a guy over there and needs, there's a farmer that needs prayed over, go take care of it. Now and, and, you say that about yeah. him saying that he realized what it takes to be an exorcist. And it seems as though father Ripperger, who wrote the foreword to the English translation, he says that um, at the end of it, he asked for the intercession of Father Amorth. Is there a idea that Father Amorth um, might be a canonized saint one day? That he is um, a, in the in the well, I guess we would assume he would hope that he's in heaven. Uh, but is there a movement to for his canonization? There is, particularly in Italy. There's a movement to to for his cause. I think it's been opened, and um, but I but so yeah. There, it, it's kind of a spoiler alert in the end of the book. They kind of talk about it, but. But yeah, there there is in Italy there is a movement to for for his to, to look at least look at his as his as his cause. You can't get you can't stand that close to the flame for that many years and not grow in holiness mm. and become holy. Whether he gets canonized or not, there's no doubt with the work that he did and the souls that he saved. Um, when you step into the ring, you sharpen yourself. You know, you sharpen the first, the first time I was an amateur boxer and I got into the ring with a guy who was ranked 10th in the world just to spar. And I thought it was a tough guy. I thought it was a good fighter. And, it, and, and I realized, yeah, I don't have a professional career. This guy, <laughs> is so fast. I think he could read my mind because I would think about throwing a jab and he was already to my left. It was like speedy Gonzalez. So you can't get, you can't get into the ring that many times and, and either get knocked out, or, or learn how to compete and be a very good fighter. And that's the way he was. So he, it, and, and, that, and this realm, it translates into holiness. So he, it was ultimately his holiness. It wasn't necessarily his fearlessness or his theology. Even Thomas Aquinas, uh, um, I wore this for you today, Veritas, right? Mm -hmm. Even yeah. Thomas Aquinas is, is, is canonized saint, not because of the Summa, but because of his holiness. Mm -hmm. And so if they do the, if, if they're pursuing it, it's because of the holiness of life that he attained. You know, Doc, he's a spiritual giant, obviously. Uh, what what kind of a legacy has he left behind? I know in the uh, the popular podcast, The Exorcist Files, uh, Father Carlos Martins talks about how uh, certain exorcists have left behind certain uh, tools for, for the next generation of exorcists. So what kind of legacy has he left behind? Yeah, that's a great question. The, the, his biggest legacy is to return, is to re, to return, um, 
the to, to return to the reality and accepting the reality of the devil uh at the time there's one of the chapters um i forget which right in the middle of the book it's the chapter his eminence does not believe in satan there's a there's a cardinal prefect in rome that had a problem and said i don't believe in the devil it was very common at that time you know it's hard for us to understand but we're coming after the second vatican council there's a new evangelization. Uh, we don't believe in this medieval stuff of the devil. It's all superstition. You're just stirring up fear in people. Um, and it, it, and so he was the first to come back and say, well, you can call this psychological, but I just, my very first case, the guy levitated, you know, uh, his very first case. And so he he he, he popularized and brought back to, to, to the reality of Satan and as a person, a personal entity, entity and not this, this, idea Healing. that you know that it's just the evil exists that yeah. it's just a symbolism symbolize the evil within our hearts he first that's his first legacy is to bring it back and second is to start to bring it back to catholic norms um and 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 which is working with the, the diocesan exorcist uh, and he gave a lot of good uh, uh, principles for exorcists today to, that they still use today in terms of practical application of how to use sticking to the ritual. You know, we, 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 it's, it's, it goes back to the rubric. As you know, the word rubric is the Latin word for red. Do the red, speak the black. And a lot of guys are getting away from that and they're drifting into, into kind of this more charismatic model of, of looking for mystical things. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is, is from a more, he says, there's always a strong temptation for charismatics, sensitives, and exorcists of finding the quickest way to heal by going outside of the common sacred means to obtain grace. Those who seek quick solutions outside of the ordinary channels of obtaining grace, he says, unwillingly, unwittingly fall into the trap of magic. And in the famous quote, one good confession is worth a hundred exorcisms. Mm. And I see exorcists fall into this trap. They're like, hey, they'll call me. Hey, Dan, how do I do this? What, what ritual do I pray for that? How do I counteract this type of demon? And I'm like, hey, there was a Jewish carpenter once who's, who was also an exorcist <laughs> who said this type only comes out with prayer and fasting. Amen. So ordinary means, prayer, fasting, sacraments, confession, getting the soul in a state of grace. This is what Father Ripperger's program does in my my participation with Libra Cristo does. And Father Amorth really set the stage. Unfortunately, I have to cut you off there. We're out of time. Check it out. The, the book, Father Gabriel Amorth, Rome's Exorcism Out of Tan, and the Libra Cristo Method Out of Tan. We all know children have a natural innocence and a sense of wonder. Yet our world is full of distractions that can pull families in the wrong direction. But with the help of God and a church family, your children can grow in the security of faith, hope, and love. Weekly Mass provides that critical faith foundation needed in life. So if your family hasn't been to Mass in a while, we'd like to invite you home. Discover more at catholicscomehome.org. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Is the Bible sufficient to answer all questions about Christian living and church life? Well, the answer is definitively no. There isn't agreement on scores of doctrinal issues, such as the effects of baptism, who can receive communion, once saved, always saved, abortion, or how about eligibility for marriage after divorce? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, fruit analysis. Luther, Calvin, and Zwingli, who are the fathers of non-Catholic Christianity, did not rid the unbiblical practices 
they despised, but instead turned out to be the progenitors of some 50 denominations and scores of divergent beliefs. Secondly, natural reason. Well, if the Bible alone is supposed to clarify all beliefs, the very fact that such division prevails is actually proof that an arbiter of doctrine is desperately needed. And thirdly, the golden twins. Sacred scripture and sacred tradition will always prevail as the foundation of all Christian truth, doctrines, and beliefs. Remember, identical twins come from one egg. I actually was gone from the Catholic Church for 35 years. I want to get to heaven. I don't know if I will. I mean, I worry about it. But I not only want to get to heaven at the moment of my death, I want to find as much heaven as possible here on earth. So I need help. I don't know why I turned on my radio because I've kept my radio off for years. And once I turned it on, I was absolutely hooked. The Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Celebrating the culture of life. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. I'm Denise Majeski from Epiphany of the Lord in Katy. You're listening to AM 1430 KSHJ Houston, part of the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Like, I mean, literally today, like there's something going on in the world today. What is it? Have you heard of something called um, yes. World, world Youth Week? Oh. Oh, sorry. World Youth Day. That lasts like about a week. Yeah. Hmm. Lisbon. Why do they call it World Youth Day? Is it in Lisbon? No. It's in Lisbon. It is. Okay. In Portugal. Portugal. Mm -hmm. Why do they call it World Youth Day if it's a week long? They should call it um, World Youthapalooza. World Youthapalooza. That actually would be probably a more description of what it is, right? Yeah, honestly. (laughs) Honestly. You've been to one, right? You've been to a World Youth Day. I have not, actually. Really? Yeah, I never went. I could have sworn um, you went to one. I was invited a number of times. Never actually ended up going. Um, but this year, it's a five days long. It's August 1st through 6th, so they're smack in the middle of it. And, you know, I, we mentioned before, maybe about two weeks ago, the newly appointed cardinal and the bishop who was uh, in charge of planning the... Um, World Youth Day this year, Cardinal Americo Aguilar, he very clearly stated that he was not wanting to evangelize. He didn't want to convert people. Now, this is very concerning. Man, many people may think, okay, well, this World Youth Day is bad, but other World Youth Days are not bad. And there's a couple things that need to be said. Yes, this World Youth Day is particularly nefarious. For instance, Father James Martin will be addressing the youth there. The youth there, isn't it strange that Father James Martin gets invited everywhere? He gets invited to every single event across the world. And you know, this is not a topic about Father James Martin, but nonetheless, I think it's important to keep in mind. Um, Bishop Strickland once said that. Father James Martin, even if if your local bishop doesn't invite Father James Martin into your diocese, by not 
condemning him, by not rejecting him outright, you are in a sense inviting him into your diocese because he comes into your diocese every day through social media. He comes into your diocese every single day through Twitter, through Facebook, through YouTube, through different websites, through different talks he gives. He gets invited right into not just your diocese, but into the houses and homes and the rooms of your kids, the kids in your home. So it's very interesting that he was invited there. Now, to Bishop Barron's credit, Bishop Barron, who I have um, some things that I dislike about the things that Bishop Barron says and does, but his response to the World Youth Day, I think, was very positive. Bishop Barron came out publicly saying, I'm scheduled to give five presentations at World Youth Day in Lisbon, and I'd like to assure Bishop Aguilar that every single one of them is designed to evangelize. So that's good. Hey, wait a minute. I'm glad he's doing that. That calls to mind a Marian apparition. Oh, yeah? Bishop against bishop. Mm, Interesting. Mm. Interesting. Our Lady of Akita. That's the other interesting thing. They're not of of one accord. Imagine having a... um, a World Youth Day event, a Catholic event in Portugal and not having the center focus be Fatima, you're in, you're like right down the street from Fatima, Portugal. You can't do that, Adrian, because it has to be a centennial uh, celebration. Right. If it's not right. on that on that year, you can't mention Fatima ever. Right, right. It's so strange, though. Like the greatest miracle we've seen in the world in recent history. At least in recent history. Like maybe ever. <laughs> Probably um, ever. That is, and, they, and it's not the key focus of the event in Portugal. That's very strange. Look, don't get me started on the graphic design. Oh, yeah. Don't get me started on it. <laughs> they pay why, money for this. Why is everything, why is everything ugly? That's, like, that's just the question. Like, why does everything have to be ugly all the time? It just drives me nuts. Now, it's interesting, though, because there's a lot of things to critique about the World Youth Day today. For instance, yesterday at World Youth Day, or was it today? I get confused because of time zones. Today, I suppose. Today at World Youth Day, young people were exposed to indifferentism and paganism. They took part in a, quote, tree planting for religions hmm. to, quote, represent harmony in the difference between the great religious traditions of humanity, end quote. How is that something... How is that something that we want to promote among young people? The different, quote-unquote, great religions are not in harmony. What is harmonious about them? And what religions are we talking about? Because someone may initially think, oh... We're talking about the monotheistic religions. So we, at least at the very least, we're all in agreement that there is one God, right? Muslims, Jews, Catholics, right? Well, let me just grant to you that for a moment. I think there are some major fundamental differences between Catholics and Jews and Muslims. Uh, For instance, that Jews reject our Lord Jesus Christ, that Muslims reject our Lord Jesus Christ, just start off with that one we'll just leave it there but it's not only that the other thing is that the world youth day lisbon 2023 program put up 
some suggestions of what to do in Lisbon. They said, quote, take advantage of World Youth Day Lisbon 2023 to visit the places we suggest. Three churches, a synagogue, and two mosques, and a Hindu temple. <laughs> you can't so, be serious. Uh-huh. And so exactly. Oh, you're no. thinking. So you're thinking, okay, well, oh, well, the, the Jews, the Muslims. I'm okay with the Jews and Muslims. I'm not, but some people are. But then the Hindus? They're literal pagans. They, they literally worship, worship multiple gods. And they're encouraging people to visit the temples, the Hindu temples. I was literally having a conversation with a friend um, maybe four weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago. Well, they asked me, they reached out to me. They said, hey, me and my sister want to go and visit this um, retreat center. It's supposedly incredibly beautiful, um, it, but it's but it's Hindu though. It's uh, they they have all these Hindu practices. You have to schedule a meeting, so they tour you around, they take you through all the stuff going on. Like, should I go to this? I was like, well, hypothetically speaking, it's not intrinsically evil to it go walk through the doors of a Hindu church. However, unless you're like there for a very particular reason, if you're just trying to do tourism, I highly recommend not going. Because you're going to be surrounded in an area where everybody's worshiping demons. And the priests there, the monks there, are literally praying to demons while you're there. So unless I was going there to try to evangelize or trying to convert or trying to have a very particular mission, I would very much avoid going to that church. And then a couple weeks later, we see a representative of the Vatican, World Youth Day, encouraging Catholics to attend a Hindu temple, to go visit a Hindu temple. Now I feel like I just got my knees just knocked out under me. Um, very, very concerning. Very, very concerning. But here's where we get to something controversial. <laughs> As if we weren't talking about anything controversial so far. World Youth Day was never a good idea. It was never something that should have been promoted. Even from the days of John Paul II, it was not something that was good. Yes, it was good to see the massive crowds, very encouraging to many people. Were there positive elements, of course? There are always positive elements. Were people changed from it and people converted because of it? I'm sure there were. I've heard people tell me that they became serious in their faith after attending World Youth Day. So were there positive fruits? Yes. Was it ultimately positive? I would say no. For a number of reasons. One is the rampant disrespect for our Lord Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. The legion of Eucharistic ministers or extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion, which is also strange to me because they have like tons of priests there. So why do they still need extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion when there's just armies of priests there? It's very strange to me. But they don't even have the courtesy that everyone uses a ciborium. They use very mundane things to carry the Eucharist in. And I was talking to a friend of mine, I won't say who it was, who attended World Youth Day, and they said that the ground was littered with the Eucharist. People dropping host, people taking the Eucharist in their hands and walking off. It's just so many people that you can't keep track of everything. And what's the answer to that 
problem? I don't really know. Maybe the answer is um, you just don't receive communion at Holy Youth Day. You can attend Holy Mass, but you don't get to receive communion. It's not required that you receive communion every single day. It's a merit in itself if you make a spiritual communion, attend Holy Mass. Here's a second reason. I was talking about somebody who attended World Youth Day in 2002. Um, 2002 would have been what? Would have been 20? Benedict Sixteenth or John Paul II? It would have been like right on the cusp. Right. Um, they went to World Youth Day and they said, it didn't shock them at the time, but looking back, they cannot believe the situation. And that's namely that men and women were cohabitating at World Youth Day. What do I mean by that? I mean, there were these massive campsites basically on the ground. And they set up these structures and usually because, I mean, your pastor was there, you had this kind of understanding. He's like, okay, this was the men's tent, this is the women's tent. So it's not like they were encouraging promiscuity, but they placed these young men, young people. It's World Youth Day, 18 to 35, which I was like, is that really young for 35? I don't know. Maybe the cutoff should be 30. I don't know. But is it really wise to put young people in a near occasion of sin like that where you have men and women sleeping five feet apart from each other? It seems like not the best idea. The other thing is the immodesty, the immodesty of dress. That people are going to this thing where it's supposed to be promoting this devotion, right? And yet you see the pictures and women are wearing short shorts. They're wearing tank tops. Uh, the men are dressed just as, I want to I say promiscuous, but as inappropriately. They're being trained to attend Holy Mass in that way that it's okay to be wearing jeans to Mass. And this is the kind of mentality that's being promoted at World Youth Day. And this is universally the case, not just this year. And how about the rock band mentality of playing this rock and roll music at World Youth Day? And what are we promoting? What are we encouraging for these young people? A rock and roll mentality, a rock and roll mass. And ultimately, go ahead. I think we have this problem of dragging divinity down to what we think is an acceptable level, to what we think is a, a, a place where our young people can understand. And, and that for us means, well, we have to enculturate uh, all of the, the, the things of the culture that, that everybody just adores, but aren't exactly giving the glory that God deserves. Uh, rock music, this, this kind of um, uh, revival mentality that we've incorporated into events like this, I think is 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 very it's very surface level it's it's um it's novelty when we should really be talking about other things and, mm. and presenting the beauty of the church instead of trying to drag the church down to the level of of understanding of what we think these kids can 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 take in you know mm-hmm. and and we see that time and time again again I, I just have to repeat you know of course people are 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 converted by this but what we're trying to pro- pro- propose is that maybe this isn't exactly the best thing overall, like overarching for everything. Like this seems to be a shotgun approach, whereas there's a better opportunity for us to present the good, the true, and the beautiful in an event like this with young people. Yeah, for sure. The next generation of Catholics. So what's the answer? I would say it's the Fatima message. Pray, do penance, pray the rosary every day. 
That's the message that we should be given to the youth. Is the Holy Rosary. Penance, penance, penance. Souls are falling to hell like snowflakes. And speaking of souls falling to hell, that sounds like uh, some chance to have some fear and trembling. Uh, speaking of fear and trembling, Ooh. call now to be part of the game show. 877-757-9424. 877-757-9424. Call now. We take the first caller. We'll be right back. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. In your view, was the Virgin Mary simply an obedient woman who willingly gave biological and maternal matter to Jesus and therefore has been given undue adoration? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, the Bible. The Virgin Mary is in the first book of the Bible, the last book of the Bible, all through the Gospels and close to 15 other typologies throughout Scripture. Secondly, the Ark of the Covenant. It was the most revered object in the history of the children of Israel. Israel. That ark carried the presence of God. Well, goodness, the Virgin Mary did not just carry the presence of God. She carried God himself. Thirdly, something to think on. If God is a father, he is, and we are known as his children, we are, and the body of Christ are called brothers and sisters, they are. Wouldn't God provide a mother for his church? He did. So here's an idea. Ask a wartime veteran who soldiers cry out for in a moment of fear. That's right, their mother. Mother Mary, pray for us. Ever feel like life's just too much? Maybe it's time for a change. God offers us relief and hope. So if you're feeling like you need more peace today, begin at catholicscomehome.com. I used to wonder if God really cared about me. Then I started praying and going to church. I realized that God in my life was the difference between occasionally being happy and finding lasting joy. If you're looking for something more, check out catholicscomehome.com. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. <laughs> the Catholic Trivia Game Show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. 877-757-9424. That number to call, 877-757-9424. You could be the winner. How do you win, you may ask? Well, it's very simple. You just dial in, 877-757-9424. We always take the first caller, and that could be you. You may be asking, what exactly would I be the first caller for? Well, it's very simple. I have here three Catholic trivia questions. The trick is, I'm not going to ask you the questions. No, instead, I'm going to ask Rudy the questions. Rudy's going to give me an answer, and it's your job to tell me whether or not he is right or whether or not he is wrong. Now, that gives you a 50-50 chance, even if you don't know anything about those questions. If you just guess, give a 50-50 chance of getting each and every question correct. And every right answer goes into the coffee cup of divine providence to win this week's prize, Rudy, what could they win? Praise be to God. The prize pack this week is a bundle of items from Visions of the Good Help. You can win a miraculous metal tote bag, a journal, and other goodies in this prize pack. And it's been generously donated by Theoni Bell, an author here out of Houston. She's the author of The Woman in the Trees, a novel based on America's first approved Marian apparition, which you can get through Tan Books. She lives here in Houston, as I mentioned, with her uh, husband and three children, four of them in heaven. She has an M.A. in international journalism 
and also teaches literature at her co-op. She recently also wrote Glory Story number 18 of Our Lady of Champion with Holy Heroes. If you don't know Holy Heroes, they're amazing. You should check that out if you have kids. Her picture book, Jelly Bean, is uh, written, and uh, and it's actually a book about a stillbirth that she had, and it's a great way to talk about uh, such a, a situation with other kids. Uh, but that's going to be out with Holy Heroes as well. Now, you can find all of her work at theonibell.com, or if you want to support her shop, you want to purchase maybe a tote bag or some of the other things that are in this uh, gift pack this week, you can go to Visions of the Good Help on Etsy and check that out. Thank you so much, Theoni Bell. Amen. If you want to win that prize, 877-757-9424. We always take the first caller. And right now I'm looking over to my left. And whoever picks up the phone and dials 877-757-9424 next will, in fact, be our contestant to win the prize this week. And so if you would like to win that prize, that number one more time, 877 757 Nine four two four. I said one more time, but I'll say it again. One more time. Eight seven 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 five seven nine four two four. Call now. We always take the first caller, and right now, the perfect opportunity is now because the person to call next will, in fact, be our contestant, and we'd love to have you on to win the surprise. Now, I'm looking at the questions here, and I have to say, these questions are actually looking to be. Mm, two out of three are actually, actually, honestly, these are actually pretty difficult questions. I'm not going to lie. These are some pretty difficult questions. So the person who calls in will, in fact, be able to uh, have to be incredibly smart to get these answers right, actually. These are uh, some tricky questions, I would say. But joining us right now is Martha. Good morning to you, Martha. Uh, good morning. Uh, Martha, where are you calling in from? Uh, from Houston. Houston. Praise hey, be to God. I was beginning uh, to think there wasn't anybody from Houston. You know, we rarely get Houston callers. It's so rare. I would love to hear more Houston callers, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, Martha, what uh, parish is yours? What parish do you go to? You see, what, uh, what parish? St. Augustine. St. Augustine. Praise nice. be to God. You know, I was a youth minister at St. Augustine for a year. Oh, praise be to God. That's amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, I, I wonder. <laughs> we love to hear it. We love to hear it. Praise be to God. That's amazing. Is your... Oh, okay. I think I know who your daughter is. Okay. Praise be to God. That's wonderful. We'd love to hear it. She's at the University of St. Thomas, right? No, no, no. Uh, I have two daughters, actually, on that class, uh, on, on your class. Uh, one of, uh, is Megan and Maya Benavides. Oh, okay. Okay. Wonderful. Wonderful. Praise be to God. We'll tell them I said hello. It's good to hear from you. Um, now, you're familiar with the game. Do you know how to play? Yes, I am. Okay, perfect. Perfect. Well, I have to I have to warn you. These questions are actually pretty difficult. <laughs> I was looking at the questions, and I was like, oh, man. I don't know. I don't know if I were to get these questions. I think I might be able to get one of these, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, so oh, we're going to find no. out. The good news is you don't even need to know the answer. There's a 50-50 chance, so we're going to jump into it. Are you ready to play? Uh, yeah. All right. Question number one for you, Rudy. Are you ready? I am ready. All right. To not trick Martha. Oh, well, we'll find out, aren't we? Martha, I'm on your team. Which pope convened the Council of Trent in 1545? 
Ah, okay. Well, that's easy. I mean, they named the councils after the Pope. Mm, and the they? Pope at the time was Pope Trentacostal I. Pope Trentacostal I. Yes. Wow. Is that is that like um, how Pope Vatican II convened Vatican II? What? You mean Vatican II? That yeah. was his name. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. His name was Vatican II. Oh, because you paused in between. Right, right. His full name, was... one word, was Vatican II. Oh, right, right. right. That makes sense. Oh, Vatican II. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That, I'm following. He's from Uganda. Oh, yeah. I didn't know we had a Ugandan Pope. Okay. <laughs> yeah. The more you know. That's true. The more you know. All right, Martha. 15 seconds on the clock. The question on the board is, which Pope convened the Council of Trent in 1545? Rudy seems to think it was... Pope Trentacostal the first. first. Yeah. Which there's been, what, three more there's after him? There's been three. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. All right, Martha, 15 seconds o'clock. Is he right or is he wrong? What say you? I think he's wrong. You think he's wrong? What? Well, I, I don't know why you would think something like that, but that is, in fact, correct. <laughs> um, no, it's not Pope Trentacostal. It is actually Pope Paul the Third. Pope Paul III convened the Council of Trent in 1545. Um, typically, people associate the Council of Trent with Pius V, mm-hmm. but he's the one who implemented the council. Uh, he actually did not reign over the council. So there you go, folks. There you go. All right, Martha, are you ready for question number two? Ready. All right, let's do it. Question number two for you, Rudy. Okay. Hmm. Honestly, if you ask me this question, there's no way I would have got this one right. No possibility. I'm not. I, I hmm. guess this tells a lot more about me wow. than it does anyone else. Okay. Um, but maybe hmm. you know. Maybe you know the answer. The question is, what is the last sentence in the Bible? Clearly, somebody here does not crack open their Bible from time to time because Apparently the not. last sentence of the Bible is, and they lived happily ever after, uh, or so it seemed, for the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Wow. The end. Wow. Did it have did it say the end or did it say Finn? It said the end. Oh wow. Wow. That's interesting. So it's And they lived happily ever after or, or so, so it, it seemed. seemed for the Christ will come again like, like a thief, a thief in, in the, the night. night. The, the end. end. Got Period. it. Got it. End I quote. got that. All right. Let's see if I can remember that. I'm I'm thinking. I'm thinking <laughs> it through. I'm, I'm I'm putting it to memory. I'm putting it to memory. All right, Martha. 15 seconds on the clock. The question on the board is, what is the last sentence of the Bible? Well, Rudy seems to think it's, and they lived happily ever after, or so it seemed, for Christ will come again like a thief in the night. The end. What say you, Martha, from Houston, Texas? He's wrong. He is wrong, you say? Oh, what? I don't know. I don't know the but I don't, it doesn't sound like that should be the answer. You ought to, you ought to well, crack open the Bible. I don't know what's Well, you. let's see. Are you correct? We're going to find out right now. That is, in fact, correct. <laughs> uh, no, that is not. That is not the answer. It's not all that far off. It though. really isn't, though. Because the actual last sentence of the Bible is, Come, O Lord Jesus. Mm, so that's if you, put, if you crack open the book of the Apocalypse, go to the last verse. It's come, O Lord Jesus. Mm-hmm. I got it. Noted. You know, I, I had somebody get mad at me for calling the book of the apocalypse the book of the apocalypse. They were like, um, it's actually revelation. And, no, it's not. And they were like, uh, and they were like, 
Why are you? Didn't the Bible say not to change the words of the Bible? It's like, dude, it's a translation difference. Like, <laughs> like why are you like so caught up on this? It's not that big of a deal, and man. Also, purgatory is never mentioned in the scriptures. Have you noticed that? I only read the King James. If it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. Is what I always say. <laughs> uh, all right, Martha, uh, you're doing so well. You have a hundred percent success rate. But I have to warn you. Question number three is the hardest question we've ever had on the history of Catholic Drive Time. Are you ready? Yes, I am. All right. Question number three for you, Martha. Well, actually, it's for Rudy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to ask you, Rudy, not Martha. What fruit is mentioned the most in the Bible? Mm, A very delicious fruit. Mm, mm. I used to... Pomegranate. Well, actually, my mother-in-law used to have a tree in her backyard. Mm. But those figs were never as good as the ones you would purchase at the store. Interesting. The fig is the most represented fruit in the Bible. Really? Yes. Very interesting theory you have there. I thought it would be an apple. Because every time people talk about Bible, they talk about apples for some reason. I don't know why. Um, You know what's interesting about figs? They they look ancient. They do. When you actually crack one open, they look like like, they look like old people. This is uh, (laughs) this is an ancient fruit. Like a raisin. They look like a raisin. This is a biblical fruit. All right, Martha, 15 seconds on the clock. The question on the board is, what fruit is mentioned the most in the Bible? Rudy seems to think it is a fig. What say you, Martha, from St. Augustine in Houston? Um, I think he's wrong. You think he's wrong. Are you sure? Uh, well, maybe he's right. It's not fruit, so I'm going to go with he's right. You're going to go with he's right. All right, let's see. We're going to check that out, and the answer is correct. It is, in fact, a fig. Uh, many people think it's an apple, but I don't. the apple is Apples. never mentioned in the Bible, not even one time. I would imagine it would be grapes. Oh, interesting, interesting. But it is indeed but a fig. But it's indeed a fig. It is indeed a fig. All right, Martha, God bless you. Give my regards to your family, and thank you for calling in. I'm going to put you on hold, but make sure you stay on the line. Okay, thank you. God bless you. Stay on the line. I'm going to put you on hold. We're going to get your contact information. And that's going to do it for the radio side. If you can join us in the after show, we'd love to have you. Hop on YouTube, Facebook, Rumble, Odyssey, Twitter, and we'd love to interact with you directly there. Um, we, I may talk, we may talk a little bit more about Father Amorth or maybe World Youth Day. I think that would be a good conversation. So join us there. We'd love to chat. Now, God bless you. God love you. Or see you back tomorrow, 6 a.m. Central. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. The Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. Welcome to the Holy Mass, live from Our Lady of Corpus Christi, home of the soul community. For more information, visit soul.net or ourladyofcorpuschristi.org. Today is the feast of the 17th, Wednesday of the 17th week of the year, St. Eusebius of Vercelli, St. Peter Julian Emery, 
We offer this holy sacrifice of the Mass for all of our online viewers and all those listening to Guadalupe Radio Network. To Jesus Christ, our sovereign King, who is the world's salvation, all praise and homage do we bring, and thanks and adoration. Christ Jesus, Victor, Christ Jesus, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and what I have failed to do. Through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask Blessed Mary, ever virgin, all the angels and A reading from the book of Exodus. As Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the commandments of it in his hands, he did not know that the skin of his face had become radiant while he conversed with the Lord. When Aaron then and the other children of Israel saw Moses and noticed how radiant the skin of his face had become, they were afraid to come near him. Only after Moses called that to them did Aaron and the other rulers of the community come back to him. Moses then spoke to them. Later on, all the children of Israel came up to him and enjoined on them all that the Lord had told him on Mount Sinai. When he finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever Moses entered the presence of the Lord to converse with him, he removed the veil until he came out again. On coming out, he would tell the children of Israel all that had been commanded. Then the children of Israel would see that the skin of Moses' face was radiant. So he would again put the veil over his face until he went in to converse with the Lord. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Responsorial Psalm. Holy is the Lord our God. Holy is the Lord our God. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. 
Holy is he. Holy is the Lord our God. Moses and Aaron were among his priests, and Samuel among those who called upon his name. They called upon the Lord, and he answered them, Holy is the Lord our God. From the pillar of cloud he spoke to them. They heard his decrees and the law he gave them. Holy is the Lord our God. Extol the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain, for holy is the Lord our God. Holy is the Lord our God. I call you, my friend, says the Lord, for I have made known to you all that the Father has told me. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to his disciples, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field, which a person finds and hides again, and out of joy goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant searching for fine pearls. When he finds the pearl of great price, he goes and sells all that he has and buys it. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Again, we have a repetition of Sunday's Gospel showing that God wants us to focus on it again and again and again until we get it. You've got to give everything you have to get the kingdom of God. You can't love half-heartedly. It's not love. And that's what the kingdom of God is. It's the possession of divine love. And authentic love is giving everything you got. It has to be that way. And we have two wonderful saints to teach us this example. Saint Eusebius of Vercelli, a bishop, uh, was also, you know, you think of Eusebius the historian, that's what I think of anyway, and it, history teaches us some valuable lessons, especially the history of the church. It's incredibly valuable to read and understand the history of the church. And I, my old, my, my father used to teach me that you always read human history in the light of sacred history or the Book of Kings. He said, you, on one hand, you can read the Book of Kings, and the other hand, the Book of Human History, of, of, of the history of the church. And you see that people try, <laughs> they're good, but they fail. And God is the one who doesn't fail. He, God, in the end, is the one who reaches through all of our sinfulness and he teaches us. So you, from hi human history and the church history in particular, you read that most people don't, aren't capable or they don't give their all. They, they, most people are not canonized saints. It's like one in 10,000. You know, Scripture says a man is one in a thousand, and then it says another place, and, well, it's actually one in 10,000. And don't be discouraged if you look around and you don't see 
holiness, if you don't see a whole bunch of saints, you know, pounding on the doors of the church, wanting to, to have their faces glowing. And the second thing that the saints teach us today, especially whom Pope St. John Paul called the Apostle of the Eucharist, St. Peter, Julian, Emiard, is the Eucharist is the gazing upon the face of God. That's how your faces become radiant. And that's where Jesus himself gives you his all. God gives you all of his divinity, all of his humanity. Jesus gives you all of his humanity, every drop of his precious blood, all of his sacred body. He gives you all of it. And the reason that he does, does this is he wants you to learn the same thing. And if you are going to Mass and if you're listening to Catholic Radio, it's a good sign that God is calling you to be more generous. These parables are an invitation for you to decide to become a more generous person. And you can't learn generosity unless someone teaches you, and that is Jesus. And a lot of times there isn't anyone else. I've been marveling in my own life. I want somebody else to be the, the adult. <laughs> Someone else to be the leader, the father, the priest, the one that's going to, to teach me. And it's again, time and time and time again, through heartbreak, I guess, through disappointment, God shows me that, hey, you have to be the saint here. God is calling you. And that's the funny thing about it. It's like Moses didn't choose to have his face be radiant. It wasn't like, that's what, he just wanted to do God's will. He just wanted to follow God. The other part of it, the other sign that God wanted to give to the people was to help them open the door to Moses. Help them open the door, say, hey, this, he, you know, he's got the commandments, follow him. This is my beloved son, this is my chosen one, this is the one that I want you to imitate. Follow him by, I'm gonna put this, this wonderful light. But yet, the veil, St. Paul says this in another place, the veil of people's minds is covered because they don't focus on Jesus. Jesus is the veil by which, of our minds, by which we understand not only, he says it's a, the Jews wouldn't understand the, the Old Testament unless they see Christ in it. You have to see Christ in the Old Testament. And if you, if you don't believe in him, the veil is still over your mind. I would say the same about you, your own life, the events of your life. The events of human history, what's going on in the church or what, what's happening at any given moment. Jesus is the, the standard and measure of all human action. Don't look at secondary causality. Don't look at uh, the, the virtue or lack of virtue in superiors and bishops. Look at the holiness of Jesus. What is Jesus doing? Focus on him. Don't get distracted. Look at him and your, your face will be radiant. Shine, let Jesus in the Eucharist shine in your life and let that light overflow to other people. Because as in the church history, what church history shows us is that in times of darkness, God chooses to create lights. And there's a very good chance that even if you're listening to Catholic radio, if you're, listening, if you're at Holy Mass, God is calling you to be one of those lights. Whether you want to shine or not, he's asking you to. Shine in your life. Be an example. Be Christ in this world that is Christless. Be Jesus in this world that does not want him. Give the world 
the love of Christ that it is aching for and yet is hostile to. Do not be afraid. God is calling you to holiness. Let us bring our petitions to the Lord. We pray for the whole church, that it may shine forth with the holiness of Jesus Christ to the nations. For this, we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for our Holy Father, all the young people at World Youth Day. We pray for an increase of vocations to priesthood, religious life, consecrated life, and to the, the sanctity of holy matrimony. For this, we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for our government leaders. They may not obstruct the gospel. We pray for an end to abortion and same-sex unions, gender confusion, and human trafficking. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for all of our beloved dead. They may enter the Father's eternal glory. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. Eternal and blessed Father, we ask you to hear us. For we make these and all our petitions in the holy name of Jesus Christ and through the powerful intercession of our Mother Mary as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen.
gifts we pray, ascending down your Spirit upon them like the new fall, so that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. The time he was betrayed and entered willingly into his passion, he took breath and giving thanks broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body, which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took a chalice, and once more giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it. For this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. Therefore, as we celebrate the memorial of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Lord, the bread of life and the chalice of salvation, giving thanks that you have held us worthy to be in your presence and minister to you. Humbly we pray that partaking of the body and blood of Christ, we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. Remember, Lord, your church spread throughout the world, and bring her to the fullness of charity, together with Francis our Pope, Michael our Bishop, and all the clergy. Remember also our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep in the hope of the resurrection, and all who have died in your mercy. Welcome them into the light of your face, and mercy on us all who pray, with the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, Blessed Joseph, her spouse, for the Blessed Apostles, and all the saints who have pleased you throughout the ages, we may merit to be glorious to eternal life, and may praise and glorify you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Deliver us, Lord, we pray from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Lord, 
Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, and graciously grant her peace and unity, in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always, and with your spirit. On your We totally speck up. Active spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Increase my faith.
Converte et Jesum benedictum Prayer to St. Michael St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. 
prayer of deliverance, Almighty God and Father, we beg thee through the intercession and help of the archangels, St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel, for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one, from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Transmitting the treasures of our Catholic faith to your radio every day. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Dr. Katie Toe from St. 